We've got laughs, we've got an award-winning story from a local young writer, and we've got the latest on Huntsville's $40 million 8,000-seat amphitheater. This is the Public Radio Hour, a weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features, produced in the studios of 89.3, member-supported Huntsville Public Radio. I'm your host, Brett Tannehill, with production help from Dory Nutt, Katie Ganaway, and Becca Goodwin. After months and months of planning and waiting, it is finally becoming a reality. City leaders want Huntsville to be a destination for major performing acts and no longer be lost in the shuffle between Nashville, Birmingham, and Atlanta. It's all part of a plan to grow the quality of life in Huntsville and make this area more attractive to young professionals and others moving to the Tennessee Valley. The Huntsville Amphitheater is beginning to take shape and the hiring of staff members is underway, and that's not all. Ryan Murphy, president of Huntsville Venue Group, stops by to give us the latest. He says he's looking forward to the amphitheater being wildly successful. Wildly successful amphitheater in the way that award-winning, getting national artists um, constantly nominated for Polestar Awards, industry awards, through all the touring acts and agencies, but also wildly successful in the eyes of the community as far as the community events we are doing. Very embraced by St. Augustine and St. John's County. So what does it take to build a facility up to that level? What did it take on, on your part? So I think it's the perfect balance between, I mean, if you just have a building or a facility that 20 to 30 times a year even has national acts touring through, they could be the biggest names. It's just really a facility to host those events. And that's great. That checks one box. I think the rest of the year, what you do with a facility like that is really the question. And I think if you embrace it in a way that all aspects, all people in the community can be part of it. And you're programming nonprofit events, community events, you're having free events, concerts, movies, you know, civic events, festivals, farmers markets. I think all those things really get the people out and it becomes more beloved and embraced in the community. What were some of the ideas, Ryan, uh, in St. John's County that worked well there that you hope to bring and grow at the Huntsville Amphitheater? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the community involvement, you know, a massive uh, volunteer organization, which meant that a lot of the community actually got to volunteer and work for the amphitheater at events, a lot of doing like some of the greening initiatives that really moved the needle in St. John's County. A lot of the work with nonprofits. A lot and of greening the, initiatives, you mean uh, greenways, that sort of thing? Um, greening initiatives we did in St. John's County that I hope lo- to replicate here. Um, there's a program called Green Hands, and it was sustainability and environmental uh, environmental practices with the facility, which artists love, touring artists love coming into a facility and seeing that there's you know sustainable waste management. And But we had a lot of great programs, and I think... Um, you know, the night markets, some of the kind of outside the box things we were doing that really got people there was really cool. And then um, I think the one thing that I'd love to see happen here is uh, we did a Sing Out Loud festival, which embraced all the local musicians in the community. That was a huge part of what we did is embracing the local music community. And speaking of that, uh, you came and spoke to the Huntsville Music Board last year while I was serving. And one of the interesting things you mentioned was how the amphitheater in St. John's County Um, And the amphitheater here might be able to create new opportunities for Tennessee Valley musicians and bands. Maybe you could talk a little bit about about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I love doing is um, as a, uh, you know, aspiring musician (laughs) over the last however many decades, I was always a local musician and, um, you know, I toured a bit. But I understand the want and need 
I understand the want and need to include the local commu- music community and really embrace, you know, because I think a music community is not a true music community unless you've identified the full breadth of all the local musicians and what makes up um, a community. So we would host local music festivals, local music events all the time. Anytime there was a chance to have someone kind of open for an artist at the concert hall or some of the festivals, we'd do that. But even on the main stage, we would have the ability to have a front porch stage before the major events to host some of the local musicians. So for instance, one of the ones we did was Santana was playing the main stage and we, we got this amazing Afro-Cuban band out of Jacksonville to open on the front porch and they got to play to a captive audience of like 2,000 people before the gates even opened for Santana. Which is amazing for a local band because the, the big thing they need at that stage in their career or, or whatever you want to, to call it is exposure and people sure. to see what they're doing. And, and yeah. I was really excited to hear that the Huntsville Amphitheater will have something similar, a stage that can be you know occupied and performed on as people come in. You mentioned that it also creates opportunities for younger people to learn the technical side of, of putting on a show. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, one thing to pick up from that, too, is it's um, beyond the exposure, the professional development side, and also making sure people get paid well. You know, I think um, local musicians who would play at these events got paid well. That includes, you know, all the local musicians, all the local music festivals. And on top of that, you're right, the professional development of, you know, young people or anybody really wanting to learn more about the business behind the scenes. So it's, it's, you know, the kid that's interested in being a sound engineer, helping big build sets or be a stagehand. It's pretty exciting. One of the interesting things about the Huntsville Amphitheater to me is, I guess, the misunderstanding that a lot of people have about a facility like that, or maybe the oversimplified version of it like they'd see it as a place to host bands when as we've been talking it's it's a lot more than that um maybe you could zoom out a little bit and help us position the new huntsville amphitheater in sort of the bigger picture of what's going on in huntsville how, how does it fit into the overall boom and growth that we're seeing going going on right now Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that gets to the point of why I even came here and why I'm here. I think, you know, the city leadership identifying that, bringing quality of life and a certain quality of life that's not just, you know, checking a box. I think it's not like, look, we have an amphitheater now that has 30 major concerts a year. That's great. What a great thing to put in a, you know, brochure to get people to move here. It's the amphitheater is going to be a living, breathing thing. And the fact that the city's paying for all of it means that it has to serve the city and the community well. So I think that year-round programming, year-round activation, I think there's um, in Clearwater, Florida, Ruth Eckerd Hall is a really cool venue to look at because not only is it a large performing arts center, but it has a school almost year-round. So you see kids there learning all about music and dance and ballet. It's a really just like living, breathing facility, and that's the thing I really like. So for Huntsville to embrace that sort of vision as opposed to, you know, city leadership had a chance to just get someone to build a big metal box and a green field out there and they could pop up beer tents and they could host X amount of concerts and call it an amphitheater done and done. But the city chose to go with us and go in the vision we have and take a risk on that. And I mean, I think that's commendable because it's, I think truly, I think and the team I'm with believe that this is the future of how these facilities should be run. And, and you hit 
on one of the things that I really like about the idea is that it is about improving the quality of life for everyone here. And I was talking to uh, Mayor Tommy Battle about this uh, several months ago. And his interesting point that I didn't consider at the time was that, yes, you are trying to raise the quality of life for everyone, but you're also trying to create a situation where more people, more young professionals want to move here with their families. And that's why having such a vibrant arts and entertainment scene is, is so important as it's somehow linked to job recruitment, which I think is yeah. really interesting. So. Is this something you think people will rally around here in Huntsville? What has been the response so far? Are people getting more excited as they see dirt being dug and concrete being poured and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm on an ongoing mission. It never stopped when I was in Florida. So I'm sure it's never going to stop here, that ongoing mission to explain to people the vision and the principles behind this facility and how we operate it. So I think there's people excited about the fact that we're going to have a major venue in Huntsville that's going to, you know, be a major player. And I think our aspiration to make it, you know, basically the Red Rocks of the South, you know, and I mean that in reputation, uh, people are going to pilgrimage to this facility. We know it already. And we know, I know from on the booking side right now that there's artists who are canceling shows or planning to play Huntsville and canceling their route to either Nashville or Atlanta or all kinds of places just because they're excited about this. So, and that was one of the goals is we wanted Huntsville to be a destination place, not stuck between Atlanta, right. Birmingham, Nashville, a place right. where people come and want to play. Yeah, I think instead of Huntsville being, you know, an artist plays Huntsville or they have the night off, you know, I think right. instead of that, I think Huntsville will be a destination. They're going to put it in the routing right away. And I'm seeing that through the, this initial booking, which is exciting. So I think people are excited about the major concerts, the major tours coming through. Then I think the more I get to speak to people and get in front of people and say, hey, this is for you. And this is this is going to be a lot of things. And I mean, I, I'm just excited to see what comes of, of all of it. I mean, you have to be excited after sitting and waiting for so long. It seemed like you were here in Huntsville, just sort of like, okay, COVID, what are you doing here? And things sort of drug along there for a minute. You have to be excited to see things really starting to come together. What is your feeling on that? Is it really like a, wow, this is finally happening? Kind yeah. Of thing? I mean, so I've been involved with this whole process for like three years now. I moved here a little over two years ago. So, I mean, I consider myself definitely you know, a local here in Huntsville now. And I, you know, my wife and kids and I, we're not leaving. Like we're here to stay. That's how much we fell in love with Huntsville. So yeah, COVID threw a little bit of a wrench in everyone's, you know, works. But I think the city was steadfast in making sure we kept on time and, you know, we're careful about how we approach things. But to the city's credit, if they hadn't a push like that, you know, we wouldn't be able to have procured a lot of the materials and kept on the timeline, the construction timeline. So I'm excited. And now that I actually go out there and there's something coming out of the ground that looks like a major amphitheater, it's yeah, it's unbelievable. It's it's so cool. We're talking with Ryan Murphy here on the Public Radio Hour, president of Huntsville Venue Group. So, Ryan, let's let's end our conversation with an update on where are we now? We've seen the drone shots. We can see some some things happening down there. Where are we and what is a timeline that we can follow to continue watching things falling, falling into place? Yeah, I think if um, if you follow any of our social media, I think that's a good place, you know, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or any of those social media channels that um, we've been doing like construction updates, which is cool. And we do the drone shots and you can kind of see it going vertical. So and on the other aspects of it, this fall, 
I'm thinking September, October-ish, we're going to do an announcement of some of the initial programming, some of the concerts, some of the partners we have, some of the, you know, the things we got cooking. And then really we're still looking for that, you know, May of early, you know, spring, May of next year is when we're going to open. So, And you're doing some hiring too. We are. We're doing, yeah, massive hiring right now. It's a it's incredible. I don't think people understand how many people it takes to run a facility this size. One, two. How many? How many does it take? <laughs> Three. <laughs> yeah. Five hundred. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's going to be opportunities for all aspects of it: the production, the marketing, and then you know we have a full F and B realm that's going to take a ton of people in hospitality and bartenders and all the people behind the scenes. So yeah, hundreds of people when we're doing events. No, no exaggeration. And if people are interested in seeing the job postings as they come, is social media the best place? Social to go? media is good, if, but if you go to huntsvilleamphitheater.com, there's a way to sign up and there's a way to email jobs at huntsvilleamphitheater.com and you can get updates through there as well. Ryan, thanks for stopping by. Anything else you want to add? No, that's it. Thank you. That was Ryan Murphy, president of the Huntsville Venue Group, in charge of managing operations at the now under construction Huntsville Amphitheater. And this is the Public Radio Hour, a weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. Produced in the studios of 89.3, member supported WLRH, Huntsville Public Radio. Over the past few months, producer Katie Ganaway, host of Arts Underground, has launched a new series exploring Huntsville's comedy scene called Funny You Should Ask. The latest edition aired last weekend at the end of a week of events celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Epic Comedy Hour. Let's meet comedian Scott Eason, one of Epic Comedy Hour's co-creators. And don't forget, any of the events you hear described have already happened, so do not show up. But do enjoy this conversation between Katie and Scott. Funny You Should Ask is back today with our special guest, Scott Eason. Hey, Scott. Hello. Thank nice you for having me. Nice to have you here. Yeah. And as of this airing, your local comedy showcase, Epic Comedy Hour, turns 10 years old. Yes. 10 That's years amazing. here in Huntsville. Yes. How does it uh, feel? It feels surreal. It's uh, yeah. 10 years in, in comedy is a milestone for anything, a comedian, a show, but especially for a show. It's just uh, being around for so long, having the longevity is, is mm-hmm. impressive. And plus, it's it's been uh, great to do this here in Huntsville. And it's, I'm very proud to say that we've been around for 10 years here in, uh, here in Huntsville and brought a lot of good comedy to the city. And hopefully we continue to do so. Yeah. And, and so we talked before about how you've done an anniversary show every year for the past 10 years now. Yes. And I want to know what makes it different this time around. And today is the 24th that this is airing. So what gotcha. show are we having today? Well, we have two shows. Okay. Uh, and we have, uh, the first one is Underwear Comedy Party. Where that sounds amazing. All of the comedians will be performing in their underwear. We have uh, some great comedians are all going to uh, perform in various states of undress, uh, which is always <laughs> a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of the times when we, uh, we've done the show before and we encourage our audience, if they want to come in their underwear, they can. <laughs> and surprisingly, a lot of them do. <laughs> uh, so that show is a ton of fun. And then followed by uh, another great show that I'm very excited about. It's a show called Stoned, Drunk, Sober. And the comedians will be forming teams uh, and they will be performing in various mental states. 
So we'll have three comedians on the stoned team. We'll have three comedians on the drunk team, three comedians on the sober team. They'll all perform, and then the audience will choose the winning team. (laughs) Do the comedians get to choose which group they're in? (laughs) No. (laughs) They do not. They are assigned a team. Uh, within their consent, of right, course. Right, of course. Of course. course. <laughs> like, we wouldn't want to, you're an alcoholic, you're on team drunk. Like, no, we, we, no, we no, don't no. do that. But no. they, uh, we, we do assign them a team with inside mm-hmm. their consent. So it's, uh, it's very entertaining. It's a great concept for a show that uh, is uh, done in a few cities here in America. So it's actually a kind of a nationally known show that we were very lucky to get the licensing to do here in wow. Huntsville. So it's a, it's a one-time event only. And in in the previous shows that have happened, can you talk about what we, you know, what people may have gone to see for this this celebration? We have had quite a few different things. We've we've brought in headlining comedians such as Billy Wayne Davis to do, uh, you know, hour long sets. We've Mm -hmm. had concept shows like Late Late Breakfast, where people actually perform a random comedy game uh, that they actually throw a dart at a board. And they land on a game, and it could be anything. Uh, So, for example, one game was uh, the I Love Lucy game, where a comedian uh, was on stage, and they actually had a makeshift conveyor belt that they were putting Oreos on, (laughs) and the comedian had to stuff as many Oreos in his mouth as he could as he performed. That's classic. But... Half the Oreos were regular Oreos. The other half, the cream was scraped out and replaced with toothpaste. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So they just had to continue, like, weird stuff like that, which was that show was a huge hit. We've had uh, Dungeon, which is a live uh, action role-playing comedy game. We've done that. We've had uh, You Look Like, which is a roast battle show. I love uh, You Look Like. We're actually doing that. Uh, we, We did that. Uh, two nights ago for uh, the kickoff of the anniversary and uh, several other theme shows. So we, we always try to bring something a little bit outside the box for the anniversary shows because yeah. typically Epic is your your showcase comedy show where we bring great comedians from all over the country, but then we want to kind of get them outside their comfort zone but also offer the audience something different than just standard, Yeah, which always seems to be a good formula. Let's talk about how it was created. How did you get the idea to form Epic Comedy Hour, and how did you feel when you see when you saw it come to fruition? Well, in 2011, there really was no comedy here in Huntsville yeah. at all. Um, Huntsville had a comedy club in the 80s, and I think it I think it actually shut down in 1990. It burned down. What was it called? <laughs> the Comedy Club. <laughs> <laughs> Very inventive. Of course. Uh, but after that, there really wasn't comedy here in Huntsville. Um, mm. The only comedy you could see was if somebody came to the VBC or uh, maybe on the Arsenal, they'd mm. bring a comic to the Officers Club. But of course, you know, you had to be able to get on the Arsenal. Yeah, of that. course. So there really wasn't uh, any local comedy to speak of. And myself and a few other uh, people were like, well, we really want to do comedy, but there's nothing here. So it's like if you, it's kind of the field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> so we just decided, well, we're going to start trying things. And so we, we started to go uh, to music open mics and crash those to do comedy. And the musicians all hated us. Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, we had to do what we Gorilla had to comedy. do. Gorilla comedy. Pretty much. We had to do what we had to do. And then finally, a couple of places were like, yeah, we'll give you some time. So mm. we, we started real small. And then Justin Ledlow, who is the uh, inventor of Epic Comedy Hour, he 
I talked to him and he was like, man, I want to do a show. I think we can do it at the low mill. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the time in 2011, you know, the low mill wasn't what it is today, but it was still very like a new cool thing that everybody liked in town. And we went to the Flying Monkey Theater. And uh, how did that partnership come about? What was the special sauce that sort of made that happen? Really just looking for a place that uh, we thought had the the cool factor, yeah. also the ability to hold a bunch of people, and mm-hmm. probably the the most important, the BYOB, <laughs> which <laughs> which is a, it's a great mix for comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Justin, you know, Justin put in all the legwork. He was the mastermind. Mm-hmm. Started the show uh, in July of 2011, and at the first show, 268 people came wow. to the first one, which. Just let everyone know, like there is a hunger for yes. comedy here in Huntsville. People want to see this. It was a how's, trem- how's tremendous that, success. How's that grown? the The audience size here in Huntsville. Do you think? Oh. Or not mm. think, but <laughs> you've seen firsthand, of course. <laughs> it ha- well, Huntsville's a, such a diverse place, as everyone knows. Right. So it's like we we have such great audiences here because they literally run the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, you have extremely educated people all the way down to, you know, your normal everyday citizen and, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very smart audiences. They they love comedy and uh, they just continue to come out for, for anything. They're very supportive. Uh, so Epic Comedy Hour blossomed through the years, which definitely led to other comedy shows being started to the point where pre-pandemic, of course, because now we have to speak pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, yeah. pre-pandemic to the point where in Huntsville it was almost – Every night of the week, you could like clockwork and yeah, homegrown yeah. and all that. Exactly, yeah. and so many more. You mm-hmm. could you could see comedy almost every night of the week right. in Huntsville. Uh, great comedians uh, mm-hmm. were coming uh, through here on their travels, as well as we were developing great comedians. So, mm-hmm. and then of course, Stand Up Live opened in 2017. We don't want to take too much credit, but at the same time, I mean, I, I know because I've spoken to the people of Stand Up Live, like through Epic and all the legwork that we put in. It, it definitely helped pave the way for Stand Up Live, which of mm-hmm. course now they're just an amazing club. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I will, uh, I'll toot my own horn for a minute and be like, we, we did a lot of work yeah, <laughs> yeah. to make Huntsville attractive for something like that to happen. And so. speaking of Stand Up Live, I, I wanna know from your perspective, cause you are, you are everywhere. You are performing everywhere as a oh, comedian. Thank you. And can you talk about what the difference is between hosting something like Epic Comedy Hour which is like a showcase of local comedians and comedians from near and far, you know, mm-hmm. versus hosting a show up at Stand Up Live or Zanies or somewhere like that. Working in clubs versus working in an independent show. Yes. So, for instance, you know, Epic being an independent show, we're fairly, mm-hmm. as far as independent shows go, we're actually kind of larger scale. Mm-hmm. We do draw a pretty big crowd. We've been around so long. We have a lot of name pull and things like that so we try to get the best comedians they come in and uh, but it's definitely an environment at the mill and the theater uh, mm-hmm. we've developed where people can be free so it's definitely more of a you can be experimental you can you know kind of get loose a little bit and the, right. the crowd really appreciates that and they love it and it's more off the cuff and and, and things of that nature and then at the club you have like a prepared set. Well, well, tr- exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's definitely more of a little bit of a structured, mm-hmm. uh, just because like uh, the standard club uh, scenario is you know you have a host, a feature, and a headliner, and uh, it's club audiences. They've they've normally they've paid uh, a good amount of money to be there. Right, they're they're right. eating while they're you know they're 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 having mm-hmm. a good time, but they also expect a very polished product. 
Right. You know what I mean? And mm. it's like, uh, it's just basically just a little bit different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if I'm at the club, I'm probably bringing a little bit more polish. I'm a little bit more structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have things that I need to accomplish per the club's instructions and things like that. And also to make the, the feature and the headliner happy and but keep the audience, their energy up and everybody mm-hmm. happy. You know what I mean? So it's really, you're more the captain of the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at Epic, it's more just like, hey, we're all just together. We're having a great time. Mm-hmm. We're going to make everybody laugh and you know what uh we're always going to have some special moments where some things that just kind of happen the art from the poster sort of gives that outer space vibe where you you're, you know you're going to come into something amazing that yeah. you're not going to see anywhere else and i kind of want to talk about the art of the posters because sure. they always i i love them so much and you said earlier to me that you are the one who creates those i do or? the graphic design for epic right. actually we've it, there's uh, for the first uh five years uh justin ledlow who's a fantastic graphic artist mm-hmm. did the art and then when he decided to move on from the show uh, r.i.p justin he's not dead we just don't, <laughs> he just moved and we don't see him anymore so Okay. But uh, Justin, if you hear this, we love you, and uh, uh, we we always pay a little bit of uh, homage to Justin every year at the anniversary because we wouldn't be here without him. Uh, yeah. But he did the graphics for the first five years, and then when he decided to move on because he moved to uh, Georgia, he passed the mantle to me. So I started to do all the graphic design, and can I, re- give us an, I really it, enjoy can, it. Can you give us a couple examples of what you can see on those posters? Because I know oh. there's like some raunchy and. Mimi sort of stuff there. <laughs> well, I typically, what I like to do, Justin kind of started this and I kind of continued it and maybe mm-hmm. took it a little bit of a step further is like, all of our posters definitely have a huge pop culture bend yes, to them. So we typically take your favorite bits of pop culture, movies, TV shows, uh, comic books, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and just, you know, funk it up a little bit. That's a great <laughs> you know explanation. I mean? Yeah, Yeah, just, just take it and turn it on its head or, or just, you know, do do something out of the ordinary with it. or, or And people seem to really respond to that because it's a uh, it's, uh, – not only your favorite thing, but also, you know, you kind of get to see it through a different lens. And mm-hmm. uh, we've, we do a, an original poster for every show. We always have uh, over 10 years. And we give those posters out at the show. We only do, we give away 25 copies of the posters and they're okay. gone instantly. And yeah. I, I actually, it's flattering to know that people like, I've seen people collect them and I've seen people frame them and put them on their walls. Get them autographed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's always a very cool thing. So it's very flattering as a, yeah. I hesitate to call myself an artist in that sense i do graphic design but i really enjoy it and i think you're I, in the same yeah. vein it is I, yeah. I, yeah and i i like to see people's responses to it right. so and the space theme actually we do that for every anniversary mm-hmm. um yeah what's this year this year is i can't tell you okay <laughs> uh you can right now uh right now if you uh, if you haven't already seen it if you go to epic comedy hours facebook page you'll see the the main poster that we designed mm-hmm. which as katie said but it's kind of a space theme it's definitely like people have been like yo that looks like tron <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like you know we always like to do that you know mm-hmm. so we, we kind of try to uh you know treat the 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 fans to like hey this is you know, a one-off poster, you can only get it right now, right. and that, that people seem to really respond to that. So we have some special ones planned for tonight, and I can't let the cat out of the bag. So if okay. you do come to the show, you will get some really cool posters, this but you so got to cool. get there early because yeah, <laughs> yeah, they will go quickly. So thinking back over the years, can you recall a memory of 
a newcomer comedian or maybe even a featured comedian at Epic Comedy Hour. Mm-hmm. A, a cool story to share about that. I, I've, I've seen people come to Epic, do a set, and then inside two weeks later see them on The Tonight Show doing oh my God. the same set. So nice. we've had uh, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of great comedians come through that. Uh, and I, I, I don't need to name names right now. There's too many that have gone on to great success that we actually had them on Epic before yeah. they were blowing up. For instance, uh, the wonderful Dulce Sloan, who is a oh, correspondent is the on best. The Daily Show, mm-hmm. and you've seen her in movies, and now she's doing voices on animated series on Fox and everything mm-hmm. like that. And she's a she's, she's a dear yeah, she's a great friend, and that's an epic alumni that we had uh, uh, when she was just a comedian in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on. So there's been so many great moments of seeing people that you can just watch and go that well, they're a star. Yeah. <laughs> like it just hasn't happened yet. And watching that actually come true is, is very gratifying. What have you gotten out of hosting Epic Comedy Hour? What sort of valuable lessons oh, or so much transformation as a comedian? So I came to the first Epic Comedy Hour as a fan, and then I performed on the second comedy uh, Epic Comedy Hour. And then I was brought on as a producer inside the first year. So I've li- been there from the beginning. Yeah. And, and uh, it taught me so much because, number one, it was huge crowds from the beginning. So mm-hmm. it's like sometimes when you start in comedy, it's like you don't perform in front of anybody. You're at an open mic. There's five people there. Nobody cares. Right. You know, things like that. Going from that to being on a stage and there's 300 people yeah. raptly sitting and <laughs> watching and waiting. Arms crossed. Exactly. So it's like you immediately have to adjust. because mm-hmm. you know. And I still... Uh, over the years, we've had so many comedians being like, this is the largest crowd I've ever performed in front of up until this point, because, you know, we would consistently have two to 300 people Uh, in January of 2012. So, I mean, less than a year after we started, we had 368 people in the theater and we turned away probably an additional 150 more that Mm -hmm. were trying to get into the show. So to the point that the fire marshal came out and was like, we have to adjust how many people can be in this theater. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it was just like seeing that and being like, Oh my God. And then Mm -hmm. being on the stage and and just having to corral all that energy, you know, I mean, is a very valuable tool for any host. So it seems like a daunting task to have to do. Well, it can be, but at the same time, it's also really invigorating. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like it, it, definitely get your adrenaline going and you know if you know how to harness all that then then it's it can be electric it can also be very scary (laughs) but i'm i'm glad that you know that happened to me early and i got adjusted to it and now with epic i mean uh Honestly, I perform all over the country, and I will. I mean, Epic's still my favorite show. And we, we uh, of course, have uh, wonderful co-producers along with myself. We have Tim Kelly and Elliot White, uh, who are both great comedians in their own right, and mm-hmm. they share hosting duties with me. We rotate, and we perform on the show, and, of course, Justin before he left, and we've also had another producer, Jonathan Craig. So we've ran through a couple people through the years, and I think they would all agree. It's just a, it's kind of a, it's just a magical space. And 10 years in an independently run comedy show that's been successful this long, Mm -hmm. going further into the future, just sort of putting on your laser beam eyes. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What do you see for Epic Comedy Hour in the next 10 years? Number one, I mean, the the goal is always to keep the car on the road. 
Okay. So is to uh, is to continue to do the show in some respect for mm-hmm. as long as humanly possible. I mean, if I if if I had my choice, I mean, I would do the show forever. And even if it's not me to to pass it on to somebody else who will love it and appreciate it and, and nurture it like we've tried to. So, you know, I mean, we want to see that eleventh year and twelfth year and so on and so forth and and usher in a new generation of comedians along with it uh that can perform on the show and then hopefully one day maybe be a part of the show in in some respect continue to pull top tier talent from around the country which we've been very fortunate enough to do uh this weekend we've had comedians from six states perform and uh, for the anniversary shows just keep pushing the envelope finding new interesting theme shows like we uh like we're doing tonight uh and provide those for the audience so they can get you know a taste of the other side of comedy not just the stand and deliver but maybe something a little bit uh you know quirky (laughs) out of the box yeah and and hopefully um now that there's new ownership in the theater it's uh the wonderful people with theater huntsville who are doing a great job and we are trying to balance epic comedy hour with their full slate of productions Mm -hmm. so we're hoping that that relationship can continue and work out so we can stay in the theater uh, because we have been there for 10 years. But uh, if for some reason we have to go somewhere else, like Epic uh, is resilient, we'll, we'll, we'll land on our feet. But we, we uh, no matter what, we want you to continue to support Epic Comedy Hour. And also, yeah, can support Theater Huntsville because they're great people. They're running the theater now in Lomel. Do you have any final thoughts before we enter these last three questions hmm. that I tend to ask Every comedian on this series. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just want to say to anybody who's listening who has come to an Epic Comedy Hour over these 10 years, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot to me seeing people come out. And uh, it's been a privilege uh, to uh, produce this show for so long. Honestly, when I'm when I'm here in Huntsville and somebody stops me like you're a comedian and I'm like yeah and they're like epic comedy hour right it's my favorite thing right. that they've been to that show and they recognize me from that so uh, it's been an honor uh, and uh, yeah keep coming out I I if you uh, heard this uh, today and you come out to the show say hello come up to me I heard you on the radio today <laughs> and uh, I won't give you anything you'll get nothing <laughs> I'll just be like cool leave me alone I'm busy. <laughs> But no, it's it's been great. So uh, thank you for ten years, and here's to ten more. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna end on a couple of questions that I ask every comedian on Funny You Should Ask here okay. on Arts Underground. Do you have Scott any hidden talents? Any hidden talents? Mm-hmm. Oh man. Well, uh, I am. Uh, uh, an MC and a Beastie Boys cover band. <laughs> Beastie Boys. I know about that. Yeah. The Beastie Boys. Tell us about we have it. A wonderful. Uh, it's a Beastie Boys tribute band. Yeah. Uh, there are seven of us. Uh, seven. Yeah, we have. Uh, well, it's the Beastie Boys. So okay. We have to. Uh, you know, we have to have three MCs. We have a DJ. We have a guitarist. Mm-hmm. We have a bass player, drummer, and a percussionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's so much fun. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Beastie Boys, and uh, we are called the Beastie Goys, which, uh, if you don't know, a goy is uh, uh, a non-Jewish person, and uh, none of us are Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the Beastie Boys were all Jewish, so mm-hmm. we are the Beastie Boys. <laughs> it's actually, if you know the definition, you're like, that's a good name. It's solid. <laughs> We've been together a little while. We've played a few gigs here in Huntsville. We'll have some more. So, yeah, I'm an MC. Uh, which is a lot of fun. And also, I before I did comedy, I wrote slam poetry. Really? <laughs> That's how I started. Where did you perform that? At the, the Low Mill. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it goes oh, yeah. further back than that. It does. Oh, my it goodness. does. Yeah. And, what did uh, you like to write about? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always liked to write, and um, I just kind of channeled that into uh, stand-up comedy once I started doing that. So I still dabble every now and again. I want to know what is your favorite sort of popsicle stick joke, corny dad joke, whatever. Oh, man. Uh, how do you make a Kleenex dance? Nope. Put a little, <laughs> put a little boogie into it. <laughs> you put a little boogie into it. Give us another one. <laughs> <laughs> you just said nope. You denied that one? You denied my dad joke? That is unacceptable. No, I'm just greedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You don't have to if you don't want to. Um, no, cool. I'm, well, God, I'm trying to think. I, I, I really... Dad jokes just kind of bounce off yeah. me. <laughs> I, don't abs- I don't absorb them anymore. I'm just like, whatever. Well, you are a dad. <laughs> yeah, I am a dad, but that doesn't mean. <laughs> I'm trying to think. What was, I can't even, I'm out. <laughs> okay, no problem. Who is a comedian that we should be watching? And that could be local or otherwise. The thing I love about comedy is uh, there's so much talent that it's um, to make the to equate it with music it's like if you like a band whatever band you like and you're like oh man I love them there's 15 bands that sound just like them that are great that you would love that you might never hear just because you're not given the opportunity so comedy Mm -hmm. is very similar Uh, so I mean we all want to break through but sometimes you can just be a great comedian you know Mm -hmm. Uh, so just starting I'll start locally I'd say babyface comedian that hasn't been doing it as long is uh, Brent Reed. He's uh, he's my good friend. He's also very funny. Mm. Uh, he's been doing comedy a couple of years now and uh, has just made huge strides. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for him in the Huntsville area. Uh, my podcast co-host, I have a podcast called Going All the Way, uh, where you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's very uh, it's a it's a good podcast. <laughs> 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 and uh, my co-host uh, Raina Cahill. She's a been a fun- guest on this show. Yeah, she's very yeah. funny as well, so be on the lookout for her. Every comedian that we had on this weekend, I would say, is somebody to watch. They've had TV appearances and things like that, and but they're all literally just on the cusp of, of being a very well-known comedian. Everybody uh, that uh, you will see tonight <laughs> is somebody that you right. want to pay attention to because they're all so funny. I mean, that's why we booked them. We wouldn't book them if they weren't great. Well, thank you for being here, Scott. And just go ahead and tell the people where they can find out more about Epic Comedy Hour. You can find us on Facebook uh, at Epic Comedy Hour. You can find us on Instagram at Epic Comedy Hour, on Twitter uh, at Epic Comedy Hour. We we like to keep it simple. Just <laughs> find Epic Comedy Hour, and that's us. We are a monthly show, and uh, if you go to Facebook or Instagram and you like the page, you'll get notified every time we have a new date. Uh, and you can come check it out. Uh, again, we are housed at the Studio Theater in the Low Mill, and every month it'll be $8 for eight comedians, and it's BYOB. You will not find a better entertainment deal anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, come out, please. Support Huntsville Comedy. You can also like Huntsville Comedy on Facebook, mm-hmm. and that will keep you abreast of not only our show, but all the other wonderful shows that are happening here in Huntsville, which, of course, there are a lot. And uh, we want to hear your laughter, so come see us.
Again, all of the events you heard described in that last segment occurred last week during Epic Comedy Hour's week-long 10th anniversary celebration. So don't show up this week because it's already happened. However, you can find many other ways to get your laugh on. Just look for Epic Comedy Hour on social media and check out the Funny You Should Ask series for more information about Huntsville's comedy scene. Find it at WLRH.org. Look under Programs for Arts Underground. This is the Public Radio Hour, a weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. Produced in the studios of 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio. Every year, the Huntsville Literary Association hosts a writer's contest as a way to foster a love of reading and writing among young people. And every year, the entries are amazing. We'll close the show tonight with a story from Madeline Rates from the Sundial Writer's Corner. This is 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio, and I'm Dory Nutt, one of the producers of the Sundial Writer's Corner, along with Brett Tannehill. This special edition features one of the winners of the Huntsville Literary Association's Young Writers Contest. Junior short story winner Amelia Rates has written a moving tale of self-sacrifice in a future world. Future Nova by Amelia Rates. Clink! Ebony's tools flew through the air as she finished adjusting her latest invention. It was no longer a far-off fantasy. She was holding a time machine. Ebony had made it in the portable form of a belt to satisfy the year of 2322's popular trend of compact devices, so it was surprisingly heavy for its size. With a vain smile, Ebony flipped her long pink hair out of her face and imagined her friends, Arena, Roman, and Ven's reactions when she showed her device off at their weekly invention club meeting today. Just last week, Roman had bet Ebony would never be able to complete it. Of course, he was just joking. Roman wouldn't hurt a life fly. But Ebony never backed down from a challenge, and when she got to their club meeting today, her friends would be showing off their silly, useless little contraptions while she showed them the most incredible thing they would ever see in their lives. Not that she'd let them use it. No, Ebony intended to go back in time and fix all of her past mistakes with the time machine felt. She would be a perfect human being, not that she thought lowly of herself in the least, but Ebony was still thrilled by the idea. She planned to stop wars and become an honored queen for millennia to come. Perhaps she could even, with an expression similar to that of a wet cat, Ebony realized she was late for the invention club meeting. She grabbed her bag and went to dash out the door when a strange whirring sound made Ebony practically jump out of her skin. A girl who looked exactly like her was standing in her living room. Ebony screamed, Who are you, an imposter? Ebony growled at her double. No, you idiot, I'm you, the girl said. I'm Ebony, and I know you're Ebony, too. I don't have time for this. If you need some explanation, she held up a device identical to Ebony's time machine belt. How did you... Ebony scrunched around inside her bag until she realized what the other Ebony had done. Used my device? The girl sighed. As I said, I'm you from the future. You can call me Nova for now since clearly you can't understand that I'm you and you're me and all that. Look, I need to tell you something. Ebony closed her eyes and took a deep breath before deciding that this is for the best. She could just bring Nova along to the restaurant for the club meeting, and then she would have perfect proof that the time machine worked. This realization also made Ebony realize that the club meeting would have started exactly 15 minutes ago. Fine, tell me, and be quick about it too, Ebony snapped. Nova blinked, took a breath, and uttered two words. Roman's dead. There was silence. Ebony didn't know how to react to this news. 
Her friends were the only people she cared about other than herself. Ebony wanted so badly to believe that Nova was lying, but here the facts were, laying themselves down in front of her. How was all Ebony could manage, her arrogant smile gone? I don't know. I left the restaurant to go get my bag and the time travel machine from the vehicle, and when I came back, he was gone. I didn't know what to do, so I used the belt. Nova was ghostly white, recalling the nightmare of an experience. Wait, Ebony gasped. You said the restaurant, as in tonight's club meeting? We can still save him from whoever killed him. It had to be someone at the restaurant, right? If we can keep an eye on Roman the whole time, we can stop the murder before it happens. Nova nodded. If we can save him in the past, he'll return to my future. But there's a catch. If I don't return to the future before the time here ends up at the same time that I left at, I'll disappear. There can't be two of the same person when the times converge. We have to stop the murder before 11.32. Great, as if we needed any more pressure. Ebony rolled her eyes and the two ran out the door. Ebony and Nova arrived at Eternity Diner five minutes later and slipped through the revolving doors. Inside, a group of three teenagers was loudly chattering at a high-top table. The hanging decorations in the Eternity Diner shone with sparkly light, and the tabletops glowed like the moon. Arena, the girl with long purple hair and an orange dress, turned around and spotted them. Ebony ducked behind a chair, realizing she needed to figure out how she would explain the copy of herself to everyone in the restaurant. They had left so fast that she and Nova hadn't even thought of putting a disguise on one of them. Confusion wasn't something else they needed right then. Arena waved over Nova, who reluctantly went over to their table with a glance back in the present Ebony's direction. Nova sat down across from Vin, the awkward, quiet kid who was fiddling with a little button he must have invented. Nova stared at him suspiciously before turning her eyes to him. Then Nova saw him. Roman was sitting there next to Vin and was talking to Arena about the small bracelet teleportation device she had made. His bright blue hair was hard to miss as it clashed with his yellow eyes and his blue washed-out tee. Nova's eyes filled with tears at the sight of her friend. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, Ebony prayed from the next booth over where she was silently watching her friends like a hawk. But the worst part was that Ebony knew herself too well. She couldn't even imagine how awful it would be to see a friend who had died just a few hours ago come back in someone else's world. Although normally she would never cry in front of others to spare her ego, Ebony had a hard time holding in her feelings when something bad happened. Nova stood up, lying that she had to go to the bathroom, and slid into the booth with Ebony. Wiping her eyes, Nova looked away from her past self in embarrassment. Ebony pushed down the feeling of shame at her future self nearly bawling her eyes out and ruining everything. We only have ten more minutes, and I haven't seen any weird behavior so far, Nova whispered to Ebony, nervousness now adding to the grief that was written all over her face. Ebony agreed, looking equally panicked. Nothing out of the ordinary had happened. And they were cutting it really close at this point. As if on cue, a horrible sound like a siren mixing with a scream from Arena filled the room. Ah! Nova and Ebony both jumped up, but Nova, remembering that one of them had to stay hidden, quickly dove back down and peeked around the side. The teleportation bracelet device was glowing with a bright light and seemed to be emitting the noise. Arena covered her ears and backed up from it. What's happening to it? Ebony shouted over the noise, though it seemed to be getting a little bit quieter. Roman and Vin looked terrified, but they too had to raise their voices to be heard. It was just lying here, and then... Vin started, but he trailed off, not knowing what happened, and looked at Arena, confused. I must have wired it wrong. Oren, Roman, and I were playing with it. A wire must have snapped. It's making this noise. That means it's gone into manual mode. 
That basically means that if someone doesn't put it on, we'll all get teleported into nothingness by the time the sound disappears. Basically, we'll die, Arena frantically explained. And if someone puts it on, what then? Ebony asked, dreading the answer. If someone puts on the bracelet, then they will disappear, Arena's voice wavered. Roman hung his head ashamed. He was visibly shaking from head to toe. I should put it on. It was me who broke it. I snapped the side wire when I was looking at it the first time. As a pale-faced Roman went to put on the bracelet to disappear from reality forever, Ebony suddenly realized what had happened to him in Nova's timeline. He hadn't been inside because he had been teleported into nothing. It wasn't murder. Roman had sacrificed himself to save his friends. No! shouted a voice. Everyone turned to look over at Nova, who had appeared from her hiding place. Roman froze. Wait, why are there two Ebony's? he asked, confused. The noise was steadily getting quieter. It was now about the sound of a whistle. There's no time to explain, Noah said. Ebony, I have to do this. My time is only one minute away. If I try to go now, I know I'll regret it. Ebony stared back at her in astonishment. All dislike of the other girl vanished. Suddenly, without waiting for a response, Noah snatched up the bracelet from the table, which is now barely audible, and slid it around her wrist. Nova, why? Ebony screamed her eyes filling with tears as a light as bright as the moonlit sky surrounded her future self. Nova gave a small, sad smile and said, Because, Ebony, I live on as long as you do. We are the same person. Then Nova was gone. Author Amelia Rates is a rising ninth grader at Grissom High School. Besides writing, her hobbies include drawing, reading, and playing clarinet in the band. We are proud to present this promising young author as part of our series covering the Huntsville Literary Association's Young Writers Contest. You can hear Amelia's story again by visiting our website, wlrh.org, and clicking on Sundial under the Programs tab. You can hear a new episode of Sundial Writer's Corner every Monday morning at 9 here on 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the stories and conversation. You can find a podcast of this episode and links to the things you just heard about at WLRH.org. Look under programs for the Public Radio Hour. Tune in the Public Radio Hour every Thursday night at 7, only here on member-supported 89.3 WLRH. Have a great one.